because you're jumping back into the gut. Hey coach, welcome to the basketball podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Coach, I really appreciate your support and sharing of the podcast. I'm excited to announce a new partnership that we have started and we are now presented by and supported by the outstanding team at risingcoaches.com. Aligning with a basketball brand like Rising Coaches has always been a goal of mine since starting the basketball podcast, and I'm grateful for the opportunity that has come our way. Rising Coaches provides access to the largest coaching tree in basketball. Through them, you can develop your craft as a coach, connect with other coaches and decision makers, be the first to learn about countless job opportunities on the exclusive Rising Coaches member site. Go to risingcoaches.com today to find out more and become a member. Jeremy Shulman has built the Eastern Florida State College men's basketball program into a national power. Reaching the late eight of the NGCAA National Championship Tournament in five of the past seven seasons, in 12 seasons, Shulman has posted over 275 wins and been to the National Championship Tournament five times, finishing second in 2016-17 and third in 2017-18. Shulman has been as conference coach of the year eight times, and the Titans have won their conference title nine straight years. Coach Shulman, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Chris, I appreciate you having me on. Hey, this is going to be fun. Um, known about you for a while. Great success. And, uh, you know, definitely a unique place to coach in the Juco game in general. And, uh, you know, I, I got to think there's a lot of things, but give us some ideas. I know roster turnover has got to be a challenge. What are some of the other challenges? <laughs> you know, I don't know if we have enough time on this podcast. <laughs> of course. The challenges right now. But, uh, you know, at least to me, one of the biggest challenges is all the roster turnover. Uh you know, the fact that, of course, at the junior college level, we get guys for at most two years, sometimes only one year if they're a qualifier. So, I mean, it's constantly changing who we're bringing in and uh, especially the way we do things in our program. You know, everyone talks about culture, but we really live our culture. And the most difficult thing for me is we develop relationships and you know, I, I develop relationships with our guys, uh, see them blossom, see them bloom. And then, you know, before you know it, they're out of the program already, you know, moving on to a division one program. And uh it is difficult, but uh, it's it's fun. It's it, it's fun, you know, with the challenge of having a new group every single year. Uh, and, you know, that kind of goes into what we run on offense, uh, a little bit on defense, but especially on offense each year to just try to adjust to what we bring in. But it's uh, we're always signing about 10, 11 new guys every single year. So it's definitely uh, <laughs> it's definitely unique. And uh, it was the same at my college. Like I knew that all the players I was getting, it's none of them, it was their first choice. Right. And that, that's the challenge for you too, that none of them in theory want to be there or stay there, <laughs> which is again, amazing that you've got to bring them into this culture and commit and buy in because winning will lead to more opportunities for them. Won't it? Absolutely. And, and that is a difficult thing. And, and it's kind of a little counterintuitive, but we actually try to recruit guys that want to be here. So how do you recruit guys that want to be somewhere where they don't want to be? And that is that is difficult because every kid we recruit, their their dream is to play Division One basketball. They want to play D1. So this is the fallback going the junior college route, even though it's an amazing route. I mean, the coaches, the talent, the players at this level. I mean, you know, Chris, it's absolutely incredible. But uh, it is still the fallback plan for a lot of kids. And so 
trying to get kids, trying to find out who truly values Eastern Florida as much as I do, who, who values this level, uh, values the player development we do, values the opportunity to win and win championships uh, and value everything we have, not just utilizing Eastern Florida as a stepping stone for the next level. Um, it's, a, it, it's a challenge. And I will say this, our, our best teams are full of guys that truly value where they are and not where their feet are going to be in the future. Well, and I'm glad you highlighted that, that they eventually they do want to be there because they obviously want to move to their next level and get their dreams, but it takes some time for them sometimes to realize that, accept that, you know, whatever it may be. And that's another challenge, isn't it? That a lot of your recruitment is more of a late recruitment rather than an early recruitment. And I face the same challenges at my school for those same reasons. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is. And, uh, you know, how do you predict buy-in? You know, it's, it's difficult. And actually, obviously, I'm sure you've gone through all that yourself. Uh, you know, you can do all the all the vetting possible. You can talk to all the people around the player. Uh, but at the end of the day, you don't truly know someone's buying until they're actually there when things aren't going great. As you know, everyone's great when when things are going great. You know, when you're up 30 in a game, when your girlfriend likes you, when you're making shots, everyone loves you at that point. But you know, where is your true buying in? Where is your character? Where are you when things are difficult? And so. Uh, you know, that we try to do the best job we can to try to vet guys before we bring them in. But at the end of the day, you don't know till you're going through the war. Absolutely. And talk to me, you mentioned relationships and the importance of building relationships and, you know, managing expectations and providing coping strategies for your players. Because again, we know that they want to do the best they can so that they can up level to whatever that next level is. So can you talk about some of the things that within those relationships, how you keep them grounded in perspective when they're struggling or when they're succeeding to be able to help them get to their next level? You know, it's a daily battle and I'm going to sound like that old guy on the, you know, get off my lawn, but it's getting tougher with social media and, and the way the just culture in general is, is going, you know, especially here in the States, but uh, it is honestly a daily battle. And we just try to preach being in the present. You know, we, we do some meditation with our team uh, we, we do tons of individual meetings. My office is always open. Guys come by the office all the time. And so I'm kind of their unofficial, you know, counselor as well. And, you know, we just talk about, uh, we, we, we talk about not comparing, you know, cause we do believe that comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, we do talk about being where your feet are trying to just live each day to its fullest and being in the present. And those are difficult things. And, um, honestly, that's why I'm a huge, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo fan. When you hear Giannis speak, you know, during the playoffs last year and after the championship and you talk and he talks about how daily he works towards being, you know, more mindful in the present and, and to be more in the present and get the most out of every day. Uh, I mean, it's such a role model for me, in addition to all my coaching role models. But we try to, you know, put that we try to help our guys with that uh, daily. And uh, that's a hard thing to do, not just as a basketball player, as a young guy, but as a human being, it's very hard not to reminisce too much on the past or, you know, be apprehensive of, or looking forward to too much on what's going on in the future. And so that, that's a huge goal in what we're trying to do on a daily strategy. That's great stuff, especially that part about comparison. That's got to be so important in that context. And you mentioned individual meetings, and uh, that's something we want to talk about a little bit because for yeah. most coaches, they are at or near the end of their seasons. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that you've done, because we just talked about this last week privately, that you're in these end of year meetings. So first of all, talk to me. Every player has an end of year meeting. What is basically the logistics of that, how that happens for that player? 
Absolutely. The, the first thing I want to make sure I say is something I learned halfway through my head coaching career is the most important thing about the end of the year meetings are having enough meetings and face-to-face time with guys throughout the year. Mm-hmm. It, it just changes the entire dynamic. If as a coach, you're waiting only until the end of the year to have these real, you know, these existential sit-down meetings, you know, you failed as a coach, honestly. And, and I learned it the hard way. We were winning games and I lost a little bit of sight back about seven, eight years ago of uh, just how important developing relationships, going to the guys' apartments, going to their dorms, uh, just hanging out with them in the locker room, spending extra time in addition to meetings in the office. Uh, and I lost sight of that. You know, Chris, I'll be the first one to admit it. We were winning a ton of games, but I felt like I was failing on my first goal. My first goal, and I tell every player the same thing, but my first goal uh, when we start a year is to have the best relationship with all 18 of our guys, including every single walk-on, uh, not just our best players, not just our starters, but everybody. And honestly, I, I felt short of that seven, eight years ago. And I'd always been really good at that. And, you know, you just lose your way sometimes in, in you know, winning and, uh, you know, trying not to lose games. And um, so I, I did have to preface everything with that. But going into the end of year meetings, uh, I think it's it, it, I think guys can be really candid with you if you have built that relationship throughout. And uh, one thing we've been really blessed about in my 12 years here, we've only had one player decide on his own to transfer out. And especially in the day and age now where everyone wants to transfer, everyone wants to leave. I think that's a testament to who we are here, the culture we've brought brought about, et cetera. You know, we've had some guys transfer out that were not, you know, not their decision. Some guys that didn't do maybe academically or some stuff off the floor that they needed to do. But uh, but, you know, we've <laughs> we've built a good enough culture. We've got one guy. I still remember the guy was in 2016, 17 after that season. And. And he was right on the fence, even with us, um, you know, what was going to be best for him. But, you know, we did offer him a spot back and he uh, probably wisely for him chose a different spot and became an All-American, a different spot. But, um, you know, it kind of goes back into the relationship stuff. But if you have that, you can come to these meetings really candid. And, uh, you know, Chris, again, we talked about it some before, but there's really kind of five things that we hit on uh, in in, in our meetings. And uh, the first- we want to talk about those individually. So let's get into those things individually, but maybe first- um, we've all lost our way as a coach in some context, and especially when it comes to relationships, because I imagine, you know, what we all know is it takes a lot of energy. And especially in a coach in your role where you do more than just one thing, <laughs> you're doing everything. There's there's not a ton of support. There's not a ton of money. There's You have to do it all. You have to raise it. You have to deal with alum. You have to do it all yourself. You're not outsourcing any of that. So talk to us a little bit about that. I'm a big believer in whatever is important to you as a human being is what you're going to do. You know, like if, if you love to go work out and take care of your body, you're going to go work out and take care of your body. If you don't truly like doing that, then guess what? You're going to sit on the couch and watch TV instead. So it became what's important. And it had always been in my past what's important to make time, no matter what else was in my life, no matter what else was going on in my job, to make time. And I had lost sight of how important it really was to develop those relationships. and so. Uh, it, it was more of a realization for me than, than, than anything else. And for some coaches out there that uh, it's not the most important thing for them, you know, that's, it's not an easy adjustment, but I would definitely recommend that everyone kind of looks themselves in the mirror, just like I did and realize that it's never about pointing fingers. It's never about blaming the kids. It's not about blaming anyone else, man. That man in the mirror is the one that that's got the issues and that's what I had to do. And that's a hard thing to do. And it's a hard thing to do for anybody, but it's a hard thing to do. You know, at that point, I was in my mid thirties. 
had success, had conference coach of the year awards at that point, had a couple of conference championships. And so it's very easy to lose, you know, to not be able to look at yourself in the mirror and not be able to evaluate yourself. And man, I was, I, I, I knew exactly what the blank fell on that. Well, yeah, your success has been amazing. And in and, and this transient nature, you talked about already the program and all the different things that go with it. And uh, let's get then into this end of year meeting. You talked about five different things. Let's start with the first one. Okay. The first one, uh, we always talk about academics first. You know, I, I, it's, I mean, that's the reason our guys are here. Uh, obviously, if I was coaching at Duke or Kentucky, maybe that's not the first reason they're here for, but you know, at our level, I'm a huge believer in, in what a, a college degree means and how it can change a lot of our guys' lives. And a lot of our guys would not have an opportunity to be in college if it wasn't for athletics. And so we make sure that they understand that this is still, uh, it, it's still just, uh, it, it's just the stepping stone for the rest of their life. I was talking about basketball. You know, even our guys that go on to play professional, we have literally 22 guys right now playing professional basketball that played for me. But at the end of the day, those careers are done in five years on average, and they've got to have something to fall back on, something to make money, something to support their family. So it, it comes with the, with the degree part, it comes with the academics. And so we talk about the academics, uh, uh, which we have meetings a lot about that anyways, but I want to make sure the guys understand with a month and a half left in the school year, exactly where they're at, where they need to be. Uh, are there any issues? Are there any extra help with the tutors we need to? Is there anything else I can do, et cetera? So I never want that going by the wayside uh, uh, or, or even just being put as a third or fourth option. Our guys have to know that they're not going to get done academically. I mean, they're they're letting everybody down at that point. So that's always the first thing, Chris. Great stuff with the academics. And uh, so have, have you found anything that helping with the academics and managing the academics and particularly maybe, you know, whether it's some actual stuff like study hall or different things that you've found that really work for you and your program? Absolutely. And, and I learned this from my former boss, Mark White, who's just incredible. And uh, it's all about the structure and discipline first. Uh, in addition to that is, uh, you know, putting together study halls four days a week. We have school four days a week, not five days or else we'd be doing five days a week study hall. But uh, having class checks every single day, making sure guys are in class, having a lot, uh, having discipline if they don't show up where they need to be, um, making our guys in the front two rows of class. Uh, not having a cell phone out, which at this point is a very difficult battle, you know, to, with the cell phone battle, but, um, and, uh, and, and the last part though, I think is very undervalued is the motivation. You know, we really, really promote guys that do a good job in the classroom for themselves. Like, like everyone's on a different standard as far as that goes. Like we have a qualifier who's a really smart kid and he could easily be getting a three, nine or a three, eight, five GPA and the kid's sitting at three, three. You know, we're going to bust his butt a little bit and uh, and try to motivate him to be better. But if you've got a kid who's a two one GPA kid out of high school and non qualifying, really poor student, all of a sudden he's you know hitting that three zero mark. I mean, we're celebrating like we just won the conference championship. And you know that motivation aspect, I'll tell you, kids just it's amazing for them because a lot of these kids have never had this type of success in the classroom before, and definitely have never had it celebrated before. Uh, and so to motivate with the celebration, the positive reinforcement. But also kind of from a competitive stage, like I'm a, I'm a 90s guy, I'm a Jordan guy. Um, so I'm really competitive in everything I do, which is why I don't play video games, which is why I don't do a lot of things that I you know, neither. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get too competitive. I don't like losing and probably not very good at video games anymore. But um, so we, we really preach the competitiveness and we have competitive guys on the roster. So we actually, you know, kind of 
push that envelope even with academics. So if we've got a couple of point guards and they're all you know very similar with their academic situation, I mean we're we're pushing to see who's going to you know win that academic battle each semester, and the guys take pride in that. And so between the motivation, the positive reinforcement, obviously the structure, and in the uh, competitiveness standpoint, our guys have uh, done a really good job academically. And this is a tough academic JUCO. Uh, because we're feeder into the not just the Florida the state college systems, you know, with University of Florida and Florida State, but also in our town is Florida Tech, which is a high level engineering school, uh, NCAA Division II school. So for a junior college, I've been at, you know, a couple, I've been at one other and know a bunch of others. We're pretty good academic junior college. And so for our guys to excel the way they have here, uh, I've got a lot of pride in that. It's great. And, and I think too often uh, people think of, you know, Juco Root as like non-academic kids, but that's not true. You know, kids are coming to your place for a lot of different reasons. And that's also a diversity of player from background to education to everything else that you're dealing with. So that's got to be a big part of it. And each player being very individual in terms of these end of year meetings is important for you. So you talked about academics. What's the next step? The next step is just kind of an umbrella part. We just want to talk about what, what are their thoughts and, and goals in general for next year? Because we are dealing with, uh, especially now with everyone's free COVID year, a year ago, we're dealing with a whole, you know, we're dealing with a lot of different situations. You know, we're dealing with, uh, you know, if they're a graduate who has no more eligibility here, generally, what are they thinking about for next year? If it's a kid who's graduated but has an extra year because of the COVID year, are they feeling like they need to move on, you know, mentally, athletically, emotionally, or they feel like coming back. Uh, if it's a kid who's a, a freshman that didn't play a whole lot, you know, is it a kid that is looking to maybe go somewhere else? He can play more. Is he looking to come back? And shockingly enough, they almost always say come back, even the ones that don't play a lot, which again, I'm happy for because I'm very loyal to our guys. But so we just kind of talk. The second thing is just, we need to kind of figure out where the next part of the conversation will go. So we really just talk about, um, you know, their overall goals. And I always leave it on them to, to speak first because I want to listen. And, uh, you know, I, am a showman and I, you know, and so my, my parents will be the first to remind me that we don't always listen in my family as well as we need to. <laughs> so, uh, that is something I think that as, as a coach, uh, listening is so incredibly important and not just speaking because us coaches, you know, Chris, man, we love to talk. You know, I, I can talk as well as any of them, but, uh, you know, to be able to sit and really listen to our guys. So the whole second part of that is really focused just on listening to those guys and, uh, you know, and then kind of go from there on, on to the next stages. In terms of helping them understand the, the, you know, their goals, their next levels, whatever that may be, where are you getting that advice? I mean, obviously your experience is tremendous, but is a lot of it determined just by the, you know, the, the coaches that are recruiting them? So that puts it more in perspective than anything you could say uh, in terms of that, because it's that's what speaks, right? The offers. Absolutely. No, you're 100% right on that. Um, I, I still think the very first stage is listening to see what their goals are. And then the mm -hmm. second part of it is what you were saying with where they truly are with the recruitment, et cetera. And then that leads to the third thing, which is... <laughs> You know, I, I believe you've got to be very, very, you, got, you need to be kind, but you need to be very, very candid and clear. And so our guys, I tell our guys, even in the recruiting process, I'm always going to be honest with them. I'm always going to be very, very clear, very candid with them. They're not always going to like what I have to say, but I'm always going to be honest with them. And I hope they respect me for that. And so that is a major theme in our meetings. I mean, some of our kids that decided to come back this year, which again, I'm very glad they decided to come back, but I was very honest with a couple of kids and say, listen, 
you're not going to play at all next year. I said, coach, I'm going to work so hard. I'm going to earn these minutes. I said, I appreciate that. And I hope you do work hard, but you're not going to play. You're just not. And I don't want to lead you on, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, but uh, you've got to be very, 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 very candid and honest. And you can say it in a nice way. You can say it in a caring way because, I, you know, these are other human beings. These are, you know, very, you know, young guys that do have all kinds of emotional stuff going on, especially with social media. So you can be kind about it. But I think you need to be very, very clear and very, very precise. So academics, uh, goals, obviously, for next year. What's the third thing that you get into with these end of year meetings? So the third thing goes into, we start kind of peeling off onto uh, third and fourth is kind of a peel off. It is if a guy is moving on. And generally that's our, again, it used to be a lot clearer before the COVID year. It was you graduate, which means you have to move on or you didn't graduate. But now we have all the, uh, you know, so we have some guys with a little bit more leeway. But generally, uh, so the third part is the guys are moving on. And then we start discussing, you know, again, what more specifically, where is their goals and where is reality and where can we have those two align? Uh, you know, if I have a kid that wants to go play at Duke and he averaged one point a game for me, well, <laughs> you know, the, the reality doesn't quite align with, you know, with, 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 where their goals are. But so we get into a whole lot of details on that. And, uh, you know, I'm very blessed, Chris, even though I'm, I'm still calling myself very, very young, but this is my 25th year coaching. Uh, coach AAU for 10 years when I was very young, started my program from scratch in high school, then coached three years as an assistant coach at East Mississippi and now 12 years at, as head coach at Eastern Florida. And so for every one of those years, because of the levels I've been at, we have been helping guys move on to the next level. And so there is no crystal ball. There is no you know perfect way I can help our guys. But you know, 25 years of experience of helping guys move on to the next level, and we've been blessed to have a whole lot of guys at every spot that I've been at move on. Uh, I, I feel like I do have some good advice to at least help those guys, and we get very detailed. And again, it all centers around listening to what they want and being very clear at, about the reality that we are in as well. Um, and then we you know get very detailed from that to try to help them figure out. Um, you know, what the next stages are. I also want to make sure I ask a lot of questions in that because oh, I want them to ask questions to me in that because a lot of these guys, even though we have a lot of means, we talk a lot throughout the year, there's still a lot of things they don't know about the recruiting process. You know, they don't always understand about official visits or a difference between official or unofficial. They don't always understand, you know, how many visits you can take. They don't understand some of the recruiting periods, the signing day, et cetera. And so, uh, in addition to that, junior college is unique, uh, you know, to different levels as far as when the recruitment happens. You know, in uh, in September, for example, when coaches can come out on the road September 9th, uh, I mean, schools are recruiting our guys like crazy and, and almost gives them kind of a false sense because they're recruiting, not really ready to take a lot of guys, it, but they don't really have anything else to do because it's September. They haven't started their practices. And so uh, recruiting is crazy in September. It continues in October. Once everyone's season starts in November, obviously it dies down for a whole lot, long time. And then it doesn't start really back up until kind of mid to late February when team seasons are about to be done at the division one level and they start getting back into it. But those are things we have to address with our guys because, you know, they're young guys and they start. And again, comparisons to people of joy, they see on Twitter, who's getting offers. They see this, they don't see the thousands of kids that are not getting offers that are being recruited, but not getting offers or going through the same struggles they are. They see the five or six kids on, you know, that, that are tweeting out these offers and these graphics with a hundred lists. And 
they're like, well, that's not me. So I'm, you know, lesser than, or I'm messing up or what's going on. And so it, it's a really, really detailed conversation at that point for the guys that are moving on. A few things to unpack there. Number one is uh, you mentioned this a few times that you want them to be able to ask questions. And uh, that's true. And uh, this is, by the way, these are all great guidelines for coaches, whether they coach AAU, they coach high school, they coach college. There's end of year meetings that are so important. And uh, I love that uh, you're sharing this. But how do you create this platform for them to be able to be comfortable to ask questions? Because we know that as coaches, we go, hey, do you have any questions? And generally, that doesn't lead to any questions, does it? <laughs> never, never. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I appreciate you bringing that back up, Chris, but. Uh, I, I cannot emphasize it enough. The work is all done way before these meetings. The work is all done in the relationships. It's all done in, in creating an environment where guys do feel comfortable. Because uh, And even when you think that you've created that environment, you still have not, by the way. <laughs> you still have more work to do. And uh, you know, that, that's the biggest thing. And you know, we, again, it's a daily battle for that because... If I think that our guys have a good enough relationship, if I think they're going to be open enough and I stop cultivating that relationship, then I'm telling you, I'm dropping the ball. I've learned it the hard way. I've learned it. I, I assumed, again, I go back to 14, 15, and we, we won 29 games. And, and I mean, I, we were on top of the world. We were number four in the country and made it to national tournament. I mean, I didn't know at the time that I wasn't cultivating relationships. Again, I had to figure it out the hard way. I had to figure it out later. So. To get guys to open up, they have to feel truly, truly comfortable. And, and part of it is, uh, I'm not sure the best way to phrase it, but, but you can't have too many negative reactions, even if you disagree with the player. Uh, obviously, everything's got to be respectful, you know, in any you know, type of encounter because it is still player coach. It's not just buddy-buddy. But if you set a precedent of giving a negative reaction, even if it's your own coach's body language as a negative reaction to a player when he makes comments throughout the year or comes into your office, tell you what, they're going to go back into a shell. They're not going to want to, they're not going to feel comfortable, uh, you know, speaking and, and really opening up or, you know, they're going to go back into the coach speak and telling you what you want to hear. And, you know, everything's good coach, this and that. So uh, you've got to make them feel very, very comfortable that they can say whatever they want and you're not going to snap their head off. So, um, and again, it's a daily deal on there. So I appreciate you bringing it up. That's so important. I wanted to take a brief pause from the podcast today to tell you about the pick and roll offense course on basketballimmersion.com. An NCAA division one coach texted me last week telling me that he joined basketballimmersion.com and took his first course. He told me, and I quote, the pick and roll offense course was tremendous. So many creative ways to categorize pick and roll concepts and make the teachings better. I cannot wait to watch more videos and complete more courses. Your learning will never stop as a member of basketballimmersion.com as there are 25 courses with more coming each week, over 600 videos, and now over 70 master classes on special topics and so much more. Get one-stop shopping to stimulate your coaching. Get access at basketballimmersion.com and support not only your coaching, but this podcast as well. Thank you for being part of this community. It's so important. And uh, thank you for highlighting some of those things. And I'm, I'm also curious in this end of year meeting process, uh, there's this concept of 360 feedback, which is that you're getting feedback from people beyond just you. And, uh, you know, it's anonymous. It's not anonymous. That's, that's up to people. But obviously, it's just coaches, athletic directors, sport administrators, you know, even different coaches in your league or different people like that. I'm just curious if... Uh, 
if you do anything similar in terms of getting other feedback for the players, which I imagine is so important as well. Absolutely. And, and I do. And I also have to do a better job of that. So both things can be true on there. Um, and we, you know, I'm a big believer in feedback in general. Uh, I'm, I'm, I get feedback from myself, from my program, from my players, from every source I possibly can. And that doesn't mean everything's weighted the exact same, but I think all feedback is valuable and it's up to you as a, as a coach to sort through that and figure out what makes sense, what sticks, what can be helpful. And you could get hours and hours of feedback in for yourself or for the players or the program. And uh, a lot of it could not be helpful. And all it takes is one nugget of truth. One thing that just says, oh, wow, that's incredible. That could be the difference in taking your program to the next level. And so I think the feedback is just huge. And, and you're right, for our guys specifically, I mean, there's so much feedback we can get, but it starts with the Division One and Division Two coaches. It, it It's different scouts or, or different junior college scouts or, or recruiting services. It's as you said, coaches in our league, and uh, we have a we have it used to be a person out on Zoom. We have an end of year uh, coaches meeting as well within our conference, where we do our all conference voting and all those type of things. And so there's already some inherent uh, you know value of, of feedback there. And uh, you get to <laughs> you know you get a new opinion. You know that if you haven't spoken to those coaches enough during the year because you're competitive, by the end of the year you get a new opinion on some of your guys. Oh well, you know it's very interesting. So. Uh, we try to give some of that back to our guys, uh, but kind of roll it all up into one whenever, whenever we're kind of giving them a, a very clear um, you know, picture of where they're at. Yeah, good stuff. Good to hear. And, uh, you know, we talked about uh, three of those things. I think we're on to the fourth now. Yeah. So then that goes to the other side of things, the guys that are coming back. And so, again, it starts with me asking them uh, their thoughts and goals and questions. And so we really get into okay, you're coming back. Fantastic. All right. Where do you want to be next year? All right. Fast forward just a little bit. It's, it's October 1st, first practice is November 1st, first game. What is your goal six, seven months from now? Where do you want to be? And then, you know, we have a little back and forth again, if that becomes, you know, walk on saying, well, I want to go and play and start, you know, then I can be very honest with them and not give false hope. Uh, but anyway, we kind of find, you know, whatever kind of middle ground it is. And so then I'm, I'm huge into, uh, into the micro. I'm huge into the details. And so we kind of work backwards more and more and more into as much detail as we can. And uh, oh, one other thing, I'm huge into taking notes. And so I try to put that onto our players as well. And so in these meetings, I hope that our players are taking notes. I'm taking notes the entire time during these meetings as well. I just think it's an incredible thing to, even, even if you don't always go back over the notes you take, or even if our players don't go back over, I think there's a direct correlation between putting on paper in addition to speaking it that resonates more in a human being's brain. And so, so we're both taking notes, especially, uh, you know, hopefully our players are even the notepad on their phone. Uh, but, but we'll go over again, a lot of, um, you know, minutiae details on what I believe it will take for them to reach their, you know, personal and team goals for next year. And, uh, I also tell them our, our meetings are generally about an hour. Sometimes they can go less, sometimes more, depending on who it is. Uh, but a lot of the guys I tell them, obviously, we're going to have a lot of follow-up meetings as well. You know, it's uh, if you do a morning hour and you have 18 guys, including walk-ons like we do, it's just going to be a really, really, really long week if you do it more than that. But there's a lot of guys you're going to have follow-ups with, whether it's a FaceTime, a phone call, another meeting in the office, going to their dorms or apartments, et cetera. But, uh, and especially with the guys, well, it, both, with both, because you know the recruiting part for the guys who are leaving is ever-changing. 
the guys are coming back. There's just so much to build on and so much to continue to sort through when it, when we're trying to make that plan for our guys, because as a coach, one of the hard, one of the easiest things to do, which is one of the biggest mistakes is you, you take goals, uh, you, you take things you want to accomplish and you just basically, that's where it stops. You say, I want to win a conference championship. Okay, great. Everyone wants to win a championship. So how do you work backward into enough detail to actually accomplish it? You know, again, I know it's a little bit cliche word now, which is unfortunate to me, but I'm a huge process guy. Uh, and I do believe there are some coaches that are truly in the process. And then there's a whole lot of just, it's a cliche word now to you know throw out there, but we're a very process oriented group. Uh, I'm a big believer in the process. So we work backwards as, to as, to as much detail as we possibly can to put together a plan, because without the details of a plan, how are you going to ever reach the larger umbrella goal that you set for? So we, we talk as many details as we can in that amount of time. Uh, and then we obviously, you know, say that we're going to meet again here soon and go over those and then, you know, continue to put together that plan for the spring, then for the summer, for the fall, et cetera, so that they can, uh, so they can improve. And this is awesome. And mo- most of it so far has really been, although we're focusing on big picture, whether they're returning or not, uh, academics, all those things that lead them down the correct path. I mean, you haven't got into m- the specific basketball stuff that they need to improve or what they need to improve yet. And I got to imagine this is the fifth step, isn't it? So so the fifth step is interesting. So the fourth step was a little bit more about the individual basketball stuff by the okay. end of the the fifth step to me is uh, something that you've got to have a little bit of thick skin as a coach, but again, it's, it's about feedback. Mm-hmm. So the fifth step to me, I want to talk to is a little bit of reminiscing, but it's more evaluating and getting feedback from our guys. I want to hear their honest opinion on certain things in our program. And this past year, some things that they thought went really well, again, it could be umbrella, it could be basketball, it could be a set play we ran. It could be anything, but I want their, I want to listen again. I want their honest opinions. And again, I think we have a good enough relationship with our guys that, that most of them will be honest. And, and Chris, I'll be honest with you. There were some things that were said at those meetings, respectfully, of course, that I just absolutely did not agree with. And that's okay. And, and, and I didn't make, I didn't let those guys know that because I wanted their opinions to be valued, but it was really interesting. I got some really, really, really interesting feedback from our guys on that fifth step and some stuff that I might not have known other stuff I might not agree on, but it's just, it, it's, it's something that can help me again, look in the mirror as we try to grow and, and move this program forward. And I think that's such a valuable step. As long as guys feel comfortable being open and honest about everything, as long as they'll feel open and honest about it, you can get some really interesting information because uh, one thing we always say and I don't love that this is true, but unfortunately it's true. And I learned this from my boss. Perception is reality. And when you're talking to young guys, we're talking to your players. Uh, I've, I grew up just believing reality is reality. Okay, whatever's true is true. But unfortunately, what the reality, what the perception of your players, what they believe on a daily basis, unfortunately, that is their reality. And so if you're only trying to you know, if, if you're just butting heads with them, like my, this is my reality, this is your reality, you know, you're not going to ever be on the same page. And so you have to put yourself in their shoes. And this is part of putting yourself in their shoes, really hearing what they think. So if I have a player that says some stuff that I just 
I don't think it's reality. I don't think it's true. Well, guess what? That's their reality. So that means that I need to do a better job in that aspect of changing their perception, changing their reality a little bit. And so uh, at the end of the day, it falls on my feet. It doesn't fall on their feet. It falls on my feet. And that's, that's great that you go through that introspection and you get that feedback back, which is obviously necessary for your improvement. I'm also curious because I, I always found with some of those things, it's like, you know, you know, you throw out your top scores, you throw out your bottom scores and the middle is where you really need to improve. Because as we know, some people overrate you, some players obviously underrate you based on their personal experience and nothing to do with actually how you did things. It just, it didn't work out for them. So is that something that kind of you kind of focus on is those, those areas from maybe that middle area? Yeah, it's, it's very, very, because you're hundred percent right on that, but it's very interesting in our program. Uh, and it, it's just, again, the way we do things and maybe it's everywhere. Maybe this is just unique to us. It, it is, it is all over the place. I can't even say it's the middle with us. Uh, it is, again, this goes back to 2014, 15, my best player in 14-15, who was a high major 6'10 big, who was fantastic, who was All-American. Uh, he was the one that that had a much different opinion of me and the way I handled some things than anyone on the roster. And it shocked me, but it just reminded me again about, well, I'm, I'm not going to digress again, but it reminded me about building relationships and not just taking for granted. And so long story short, I'm hard on our guys, all right? But I do it because uh, I believe in tough love. I believe it makes tougher players. I think it prepares them for the real world. And I think it helps them win games. But when you have love behind that, then you can do that. And you know what? Again, I learned from even my best player in 14, 15, he didn't feel enough love. And so then you can't be as tough on guys. And, and, it, and so sometimes it's your best player. Sometimes it's in the middle. Sometimes it's your lowest guy. But I'll tell you what. Like if you asked our, our lowest players this year, I think they love me as much as anybody. And I'm happy about that because it, it, I feel like this year I did a pretty dang good job accomplishing our number one goal, which is to make sure one through 18 all felt a great relationship with myself, all felt the love for me, et cetera. And so, and again, yet this year and uh, hey, one of our best players was the guy by the last three weeks of the year that I had to work on a relationship more than anybody. And it was probably our third best player. And, uh, you know, but, but again, we worked through that and I thought we were playing our best ball at the end of the year. And, uh, you know, it's because, uh, as, as a coach, I think you have to learn from mistakes. I think we learn from mistakes. And so now I could honestly goodness say by the time the year ended, I'd say 18 for 18, uh, we felt pretty good about everything. Why we're all good coaches. We make a lot of mistakes. There's no question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Still um, curious uh, with that. You've talked about this a few times. So normalizing the experience or the future possibilities for them. And especially in that sense that you said already, like they all come in with a certain expectation, but really, again, not going division one, isn't the end of your experience. Right. And players can have great experiences with and I'm not even talking specifically with different levels. As you said, some of your players decide to not play more basketball and focus on their academics. And all of those things are normal and can lead to a great life. And I'm, I'm thinking that's a big part of what you're talking to them about. Absolutely. Because there's so much more. And listen, I am obsessed with basketball. I've loved it my entire life. I'm obsessed. But at the end of the day, 
there is a lot more to life than just basketball. And there's going to be a whole life after your playing career is over. And so we do talk about that. And funny you say that we actually had 19 on our roster. We had a six foot nine walk on who I loved. He was a homeschool kid. He'd been out of school for a few years and was getting better as a basketball player. And he left it at uh, Christmas time to take a very lucrative construction job. And I was just so fired up for him. And we brought him back for our, our net cutting ceremony. He helped cut down some of the nets. You know, he hadn't you know, been with us since December. Uh, but, you know, that's a success story, Chris. You know, that's a success. The fact that, okay, he didn't go to Division One. He didn't go to Division Two. He's happy. He's got a job he wants. He, you know, figured out. And, and we met and we talked about it over, over the break. And he asked my advice. And, you know, my advice, you know, probably, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's you know, more than it should. I, I do believe in following your heart and following your gut. You know, sometimes those can, you know, mislead you. And sometimes your head's the, the one that should be doing the talking, but that's just not how I, you know, coach or that's not how I lead my life. And so I told him the same thing. And, you know, and at the end of the day, he felt like his heart was, he always wanted to be in construction and, uh, and it was a, it was a good job. And, you know, he, he probably was realistic. You no, know, he wasn't going to make a career playing you know, basketball after college and, uh, and to be in construction, he didn't need a college degree. And so I'm, I'm really happy for him. And uh, I think it made a great decision for him. So you're right. There's a lot more to it than just division one or division two or, you know, uh, Canadian schools uh, or, or NAIA or division three. Well, and, and I know, you know, you're, you're, you're beyond that point, but as young coaches, one of the hard things is ego, right? Like whether you run AAU, you run, it's well, my player went to this level. And, and, and that perspective that you just shared is really what it's all about, because whether they go division one or not, you're going to be proud of them as long as, again, they're moving forward in their life in a positive way. And that's ultimately our responsibility. So I'm so glad you shared that. And uh, you've mentioned relationships so many times here, and I know we have a shared uh, mentor in Dave Smart. So because I, when I've spent time with Dave, I'd say, I mean, the technical tactical is brilliant, but the thing that I've taken away so much is how he manages relationships. And I've mentioned this a few times on, on the podcast, but this concept that I've labeled on behalf of Dave as aftercare, it's that you can coach some hard and you can challenge them to be better, but there has to be this aftercare that takes place in some form. Uh, that was a huge takeaway from me for Dave. I'm curious, what are some of your takeaways from Dave? Well, the first takeaway is just the result-based part, which is um, Chris, I think he's the best coach in, in North America. Uh, he might be the best coach in the world. I think you he believe is, he does not have offers for jobs from from an assistant level to a head coaching it's, level. It's just I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and he and I have talked about that a lot. And yeah. it is insanity. It is yeah. insanity. But at the end of the day, as far as that goes, and he and I talked about this as well. Unfortunately, a lot of athletic directors don't truly want to win. They just want to win the press conference. And I guess, you know, the Dave Smart name doesn't win the press conference. But if you want to win championships at any level, I mean, he is just, I mean, he is incredible. And I, I can't say enough, you know, superlatives about how amazing Dave Smart is as a coach. And so, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about it before, but it was all the way back in 2012, it was December 2012. And I had never in my life heard of Carleton University, knew nothing about it. Uh, early that year we played, I can't remember what, what it was. We played a, a small Canadian college uh, that had just come down to Florida during the, uh, I'm sorry, it was the year before it had, had, you know, come down here and they weren't a big college and we beat them really, really, really badly. And so I had no concept at all of, you know, CIS or any of the college, you know, Canadian, you know, yeah. U sports or anything, no, no concept. And so 
I see that two teams in our league, Palm Beach, who was top five in the country at the time, they were a big rival or top team in the country. And then Broward, who is another you know conference rival. And I see it there playing Carlton, you know, this following year in 2000, December, 2012. And so my initial thought is, oh man, they're playing another Canadian school. Like, what is this? You know, like they're going to go win by 50 points. So it's like we did. And so I drive down, it was the games were at Broward and I drive down to Broward and I'm going to go scout both teams. And, uh, you know, I stay for both games, you know, t- you know, two days in a row. I mean, it was, it was just watching literal brilliance. It was watching poetry. It was watching this. It was, it was like the, I, I, it was an epiphany. I just couldn't, it was everything all in one. I couldn't believe how amazing his teams were, how just, how well coached they were, how his players seemed to always make the right decision, no matter what. And this is after I, I even skipped a step when I'm watching them in warmups and, and watch them compared to Palm beach and Palm beach has, you know, six, 11 high major. They got a couple six, eight you know, long athletic wings and Carlton at the time, you know, scrub brothers, I think were second year guys at, at the time. And uh, you know, watching Carlton in warmups with nobody over six foot seven. And uh, they just didn't look the part. I'm like, oh, man, Palm beach is going to just win this thing bad. And sure enough, you know, the Palm Beach game, they beat Palm Beach by like 20 points, maybe it's 18. And, you know, Palm Beach comes top five in the country and phenomenal. The next day they beat Broward by like 48. It was unbelievable. And so ever since then, uh, I was on a mission to get to know Dave Smart. And so it took a few years. Uh, you know, his inner circle is very, very, you know, small. It, it only years. took a few years, coach. <laughs> I, I was very lucky that it only did. And I, I tried, you know, get you. perseverance get is required. Oh, yes. Yes. Try to get to know him, you know, through emails. I'd, I'd gotten his phone number from a mutual friend down at Broward, uh, trying to email his assistant coaches. And I was just, again, I was trying to, you know, be persistent. And I got invited up by Dave to uh, to Ottawa and spent some time up there. And uh, it was just, it was amazing. I think I was up there for six days and uh, just unbelievable how welcoming he was and his staff to, you know, get into the inner workings a little bit and watch them at practice and get to know Dave, get to know uh, uh, Manny was one of the assistant coaches, I think, at the time. And I mean, it was just, uh, it was unbelievable. And so ever since I've kept in touch with, you know, Dave Smart, I I would definitely call him uh, just an incredible influence on me. Uh, You know, I I probably have made absolutely zero impact on him, but, (laughs) but it's just, I mean, I can't say enough. Uh, I, I watch, you know, I, I know he's not actually coaching Carlton anymore right now, but I've watched probably 300 Carlton games from Synergy and uh, over the past, you know, a uh, couple of years. And it's just, he, he's just an absolute, he's a genius is what he is. He's a literal genius. And so a lot of what we do ha- has some influence from Carlton, from Dave Smart. So for coaches that aren't sure about Dave, DaveSmartBasketball.com, go there. Uh, but uh, as you said, watching the games on Synergy, I mean, I've coached against them. I coach with them. So I've had that experience. But, uh, you know, let us know maybe technically, tactically, what are what are the things that stand out from you that you've been able to apply to your program? Some of the specific things, maybe technically, tactically. All right. So the number one thing, and again, I hate giving out, I hate calling them secrets because they're not secrets because, you know, everything's on Synergy now. But I, I went up there trying to learn more about offense because that's what I saw was it was just how just beautiful his offense was, how just insanely efficient his offense was, et cetera. And you know what? And we were already a pretty decent defensive team. 
But what I learned more than anything was a lot of his defensive stuff. And those are the things that we've applied more than anything else. You know, the, the, uh, for lack of better terms, a force weak defense. You know, I, I always call it a common sense defense because when I, I was never a great player, but, you know, when I played, uh, I always believed in taking away the other team's strengths, you know. And so if someone didn't go left as well as it went right, then you know what? Let's not let them go right. And if someone, you know, blah, 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 shoots it better, drives better, whatever. And so watching his force week defense and watching just how much it was emphasized on a daily basis, not a force sideline, not a force middle, just literally scouting report based, take away what a player does well and force him to what he doesn't do as well. And the second part of that was his concept of taking away their passing. And, you know, I've always thought about it, even when I played, it was, hey, take away their ability. Where do they drive better? Where do they handle the ball better? Or where do they shoot better? But his was taking players off of on time, on target, on passes and taking away uh, and making teams a bad passing team. And I just thought it was just, again, it was just brilliant. It's like I'm sitting here, you know, in Ottawa, just on the sideline, trying not to <laughs> make a noise because I, I don't want to disrupt practice. And I'm just like, I mean, I'm just, I, I think I had like 50 something pages of notes for my six days there. And it was just, it was, it was the beauty in his simplicity. I, I think that's one of the things that makes him so great. He doesn't run 5 million set plays. It's just, he is great at what he does and the beauty in his simplicity. And it is just, it, it revolutionized us. And it really did. And, you know, we had won a lot of games and we had just won our first conference championship by the time that I go up there. And, uh, and we were already trending upward, but needing that extra little step from my, excuse my coaching journey, learning from such a brilliant guy. Uh, it is no coincidence that very shortly after that, we go to five straight trips to the national tournament. And, uh, you know, I can really thank, you know, coach, coach Dave smart for a lot of that. I'm so glad you had that experience. And, uh, obviously there's great mentors and as you find one that can help you and aligns with you. And uh, I know with the Dave smart piece, that's the other thing. And, and, and again, he doesn't like some of these terms and labels like force week, whatever it is, because for right. him, it's just all, as you said, logical, it's just, you know, we attack we attack with strengths or we attack weaknesses, you know, and that's it, whether it's on offense or defense, it's both of those things. And uh, as you said, it, it is simplicity and spacing and decisions. And as you said, attack matchups, like we're going to figure out the right matchup to attack and then force them to react. And it's, it's really great stuff. And I'm so happy you had that influence and uh, it, it shared with you. Was there anything from just the perspective of the psychology? Cause I think the brilliance of Dave is obviously the psychology that you see in practice and I think some people leave kind of with this, like, oh, he's so hard on his players. He's so mean. And he's not a yeller per se, but it's very direct communication, yeah. isn't it? But can you, are there some takeaways from that that uh, you've been able to apply to your program as well? You know, uh, I, I just, he's so great at that. And he's so good at it. I guess it's going to sound very almost counterintuitive, but I, I'd say one of the biggest takeaways was uh, no matter how much you learn from, these great coaches like Dave Smart, you can't be Dave Smart. You can't be these great coaches. And that was almost an overreaction that I had when I first got back. And uh, just, I, again, the psychology aspect, just the way he talked to his guys, the way that his attention to detail, the way he saw the game, I, I almost tried to impl implement too much of it right away because, again, I'm like, I'm just watching Picasso. And so I'm wanting to paint like Picasso. And uh, it did take about a year for me to figure out you can't paint like Picasso. 
you can take a couple of things that you learned, a couple of things that really resonate, a couple of things that go in with your own personality. Uh, but I think that's such an important thing, again, for all you know, young coaches out there. Learn from those that know more than you, but don't try to be those because you can't. That You can't replicate that type of greatness. And uh, so I, I know that's a, a little bit more of a tangent from what you're saying, but I, he was just so incredible. There's no way I could, you know, handle things the way he handled things because he's incredible. I mean, he's yeah, the absolute best at that. So you just learn from it. You try to figure out how you can, you know, use it with your own personality, with your own teams, with your own system. And, uh, and then that's the right mix. You said a tangent, but that was the most important tangent you could share. Thank you, <laughs> coach. That, that is the most important thing for sure to, to, to find yourself within these other experiences that you have. And uh, it's not always easy because sometimes you do imitate and that's okay at first, but you have to remember to find yourself. And uh, that is the challenge. And you've obviously done such a tremendous job doing that. And, and it shows coach with the success you've had, the longevity you've had, uh, the different levels that you've coached at all that. And you've, you've found yourself and uh, it's just absolutely brilliant. I cannot thank you enough for sharing the game with us. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. I mean, this, this was a real pleasure on my part. Thank you for listening to the Basketball Podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at ImmersionVideos.com. At ImmersionVideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, we've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, and so many more to come. Go to ImmersionVideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at ImmersionVideos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, Subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.